go. And then I'm going to start the live cast. Um, okay, great. What up, Don? What's up? Long time to talk. I know that this is a long, it's what's well, been over a year since we met um, at yeah. that cybersecurity CS talk. It's been a while. Good I remember. Yeah, really great to see you. Thank you so much for joining me um, at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday, a day before your classes at grade and grad school start. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I remember, yeah, it's, I remember sitting next to you. We were both eating because we're probably running from class to class, but we still wanted to attend that talk on cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And what really stuck out to me about you, Don, was your ability to take live fairly technical notes because those talks got a little, that talk got a little technical, but um, be able to do it in tremendous fashion. We were just like shoulder to shoulder. So I was kind of peering over my shoulder and I was like, holy cow, I was already doing my best to transcribe everything the lecturer was saying. Um, but I wasn't, I, I covered probably half of what you were, were capturing and I was like, Jesus, holy moly. Um, so that's one thing that really stuck out to me about you. And the second thing uh, was, I think at the end of the talk, I had mentioned that generally I have a time conflict to be able to attend the regular CS talks. And um, you were generous enough to share your notes for all the CS talks that you can attend so that I can share my notes with all the ones that I can make it to. And that was just really generous uh, from you, from someone that you never knew. And, um, but I was just fascinated by your willingness to learn from um, that talk. <laughs> I appreciate you like speaking up to and like offering something like that. Like we, we, we never would have had this talk if, if you never spoke up and like started that conversation. So appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So I love for the learning code uh, community to get to know a little bit about your story. And to be honest, I also don't know very much about your story um, besides the reading that I've done that you were uh, awesome enough to write me, but I love to hear you just talk a bit about your journey. For sure. Sure. So um, this is part of the reason why I also wanted to come in your talk, because I saw that you're really appealing to people that um, may feel like underprivileged or like in positions where they're struggling. And for me, that, that was very much so me, like coming out of high school at the beginning of undergrad, like not knowing what I'm doing. Like I'm sure 90% of the people out, 99% of the people out there <laughs> don't know what they're doing when they first go into undergrad. Like I have no idea what's going on. Like, I, honestly, like, I couldn't really give you a good reason why I picked my major. I, I was a mechanical engineering major. And it, if I had to be honest, it, it was a good amount of the reason was just because it seemed like it might be a good idea, maybe, right? But really, you have no idea. Like, when you're in high school, you, you just, usually, you're not really not that well prepared unless you are very fortunate and there, you just are around people or... You, that uh, are from some technical background or uh, from some background of some career that you wanna go into, right? And, but most of us are not in that position. That's just the way our current world works, right? So I didn't know what I was doing, right? And fast forward to now, and I have pretty much, I'm in the exact position that I wanna be in. Like I go to the school that, the grad school that I want to go to, I have the job secured that I want really that I don't mind working for the rest of my life. Um, that I actually would love working. It's really like the dream job that I have. And like, 
looking back, I can clearly say now that pretty much any, everyone that I've met in my undergrad could do the same thing. Like it, anybody can do this really. <laughs> like you don't have to be discouraged no matter what situation you're in. And I've met people with like just maybe a thousand dollars in the bank account and they're doing also very well, like, like in a similar position as me right now. And they also started knowing absolutely nothing, right? So preface over, <laughs> first day I go into undergrad as a mechanical engineer, without knowing the difference between a ratchet and a wrench, without knowing what CAD <laughs> is, I, I didn't know what CAD was. Like, the CAD, I was like, what is, is that like a biology thing, right? <laughs> so I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, my mindset was just like, I need to get on it and I need to learn as much as I can to get a job. That's why I thought I was going to college, right? Like, um, and this is like the second part of the people that I want to appeal to when they're listening to this podcast is that I feel like there's a stigma that you have to have lofty aspirations and goals like, oh, I want to change the world and I just want to do amazing things and make the world a better place and help everybody's lives. When in reality, like a lot of people <laughs> they go to college because they just want a better job or they want a job, right? And they just want to be able to survive, support themselves. Simple as that, right? That's totally fine, right? That was me, right? And I was thinking, okay, I don't know anything, but I want to get a job, right? That's, that's all I knew. I didn't know anything. So I just went out and I was walking around between classes and I see like these clubs showcasing uh, all the different projects and whatnot. So I just go on, chat with people, say, hey, what are you working on? How do I help out? Did that maybe 50 times or so. Make a long story short, I ended up working on a few projects. Um, I don't know if you know Formula SAE yep. at SGMU. Yep. Um, I worked on that. I worked on like ASME. They built like, um, they also worked on cars and a few other things. And I joined uh, SCE, which is Software and Computer Engineering Society at first. Um, and it's really just through them and through this osmosis of just being around a bunch of people that knew more than me and were willing to teach me things and just like be my peer mentors or, or like mentors with like marginally more experience than me <laughs> constantly that really pushed me to learn on my own and push myself to um, do just everything I needed to do to get the job that I want and accomplish the career goals that I want to accomplish. Um, and I'd say that all started, all of that comes down to how I learned to network with people and how I learned to leverage the network around me to encourage myself to learn more. Yeah, I'd love to get into that. I mean, so much of your story resonates with many of the students that I've tutored over the last four years at community college. Um, and it's a story of humility and strength, right? Reflecting on that even though we've accomplished a good amount in our life and it seems like you're in a really pretty awesome situation in terms of like you're meeting the goals that you had set for yourself like thinking back on it all while saying that anyone that is you know fortunate enough to be in college can do the same um 
but let, let's get into that. So I, I know networking has been a huge thing and that's actually also part of our origin story and why we were able to keep in touch despite just attending one guest lecture. <laughs> um, so how, what are some specific things students besides being proactive in finding clubs and striking conversations and offering the, you know, where they can contribute and help, what are some specific tangible things that students might do um, to network, to find that support system? Right. Um, so this is gonna kind of suck to hear, but there really is no silver bullet for this. Like the truth is networking is, is a very nuanced soft skill that uh, everybody just kind of has to learn their own feel around it. Um, and it, it has a lot to do with like what you're comfortable with, your background, your culture, and how that interrelates with like other people's backgrounds and how you can like strike up a conversation and, and just like relate to as many people as possible or like the right people to drive your career forward uh, if you're networking strategically. Um, but one thing that I really wanted to bring up in this talk is how to ask questions properly because that is like the number one thing that is going to help you when communi communicating with like technical leaders in your field or just people that know more than you that you need information from like it could be just someone in your class that you need help on for homework right like how do you ask them for help or it could be like some cto at some conference that you went to that you really respect and look up to right and, and like i've been in both of those positions and I have both like been a person that asked questions very poorly and then got like, oh, see ya kind of thing. And, and also the, the, the guy that like asked a question properly and which leads on to like further conversation and like an actual connection, right? Um, I'd say the thing that, uh, I'll start with like what you shouldn't do, right? The thing most people tend to mess up on is that, um, they feel like asking a question is like a one-way thing when really you need to find a way to make it a two-way street, right? You can't just always be taking stuff from people, even though like at the end of the day, that's, that's what's happening. Like you're, you're requesting some information from somebody, right? Or requesting someone to do something for you, but uh, you need to make it feel like a two-way street as best as possible to encourage people to help you out, right? And a good way to not do that is to just ask people, hey, can you do my job for me? Or hey, can you just do my homework for me, <laughs> right? That's a terrible way to do things. And I, I can't tell you how many times, like people have come to me for help with that. And like, I, I didn't realize it until it started happening a lot, how um, I, I guess like put off it is and like how easy it is for you just think like, oh, that just makes me really not want to help you, right? Just subconsciously, even if, like you feel bad thinking that because like, you know, people need help. Like it's just like, I, I don't know why. A lot of people will just naturally feel like they just don't want to help you if you make them feel like they're doing too much work, right? right? So a way to offset that, like an actionable thing that you can do to uh, make it feel like someone is really investing their time wisely by helping you is do as much research beforehand and like do all your Googling, write, like take notes. If it's a more involved question, mm -hmm. I'd say even write up a document, right? Like if it's a very technical question, 
um, that you need to ask someone, just like write up a document, put in screenshots. Like you're asking a question on like Stack Overflow, right? Or like writing an issue on GitHub, that, that's what you would do, right? You, you'd write out the steps. How do you recreate the problem? Um, what have you tried already? What have you already searched up online? What solutions have you already found? And key thing is try to present potential, potential solutions that you think might work or that you've tried and didn't work for XYZ reason. And then if you can, try to give the person you're asking a question to a choice between A or B, like, because multiple choice is much easier for a person to answer than just like an open response of like, hey, I have this problem, help me, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> That's a lot harder to answer than, hey, I have this problem, do you think this is better? This solution is better or this solution is better? Like, like, because you also have to remember that if you have like some sort of tech, this is mainly um, software related, I'd say like, but it could apply to other technical fields. But if you have some sort of technical question uh, that's involved that you need help from a career professional, um, it, it's really best to just do your research beforehand and recognize that you have much more time um, to process through this question, or you've already had much more time processing this question than the person you're asking. Um, and that, that will go a long way. People will, will tend to respect you a lot more and tend to want to um, guide you and feel like their time is worthwhile mentoring you. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, as a tutor, you can imagine <laughs> how many questions I've received from um, maybe something as fundamental as like, what is a linked list to uh, what is a technical interview, right? Like all of us, there's so many questions and not to discount or discredit any of those uh, perhaps surface tip of the iceberg level questions. But when it comes to navigating office hours or professional relationships or uh, breaking the ice with someone, um, asking questions is key, but doing a little digging to accelerate that dialogue shows respect, shows thoughtfulness, and uh, it's a big one. I'm glad that you're bringing this up. Um, I want to take a small step back because I don't think our listeners know just how hardworking and accomplished you are. So if you want to, if there, this is a good time, if you like to share um, the screen, perhaps for LinkedIn or perhaps some projects that you've worked on, like, I think I, I don't want our listeners to have the impression like Don is just talking to talk. Like, let's see, let's see what he's talking about. Right. But I know a little, I know much more about you than our uh, people who don't. So um, I don't know if you have anything ready to share at the moment or, or you can just audible it too. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, let's see. Let me try to figure out Zoom screen share. Oh, there's a start share button. Okay, cool. This will work. Uh, can you see this? Yes, I see your LinkedIn browser. Sure. Uh, I guess this will work. Um, okay. I am Don Pinaris. I'm a student at Georgia Tech. <laughs> um, formerly BS student at SGSU. Um, Let's see. So when I look at LinkedIn profiles, I always like to start from the bottom, actually. That kind of lets you see people's story from their start. Um, went to Evergreen Valley High. Uh, this is back when I knew nothing. Um, right. So you, you see here, I have some like licenses and just, I, I took this random course. Like, this is just like one of those things where, uh, sorry, this is kind of a tangent, but like oh, no, 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 no. these things like, 
I feel like most people don't really care about, but it's, I, I think it's still worth your time. Like this, this is one of those things where like you, you can learn a lot from these introductory like side courses and get like a general um, idea of like, oh, what is machine learning? And that's, that's why I took this class and like, oh, what is data engineering, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I say this is an example of like me going out of my way to learn something that's like not in my degree. Like this is before I taken like any upper division CS course. Um, I just like, took these things, right? Just, just to learn like, what is this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think this is like a good example of like um, the level of motivation that um, like, I had at the beginning of my undergrad career was definitely not enough to like go out of my way and just like do these courses, right? Because um, like uh, this basically didn't really help my career much at all directly. Like nobody looked at this on my LinkedIn, right? It's there, but like nobody actually scrolls down this far, but it definitely helped me build a better mental model of like these technical topics, right? Um, and like, of course, like that all starts with networking to encourage yourself to work more in your own time. Um, okay, so here's all the clubs. Uh, Hoplite, this is like a uh, CS interview club, which we can talk more about later. I'm not involved with it anymore, but they're, they're really good. Um, I don't know if you heard of SGSU ICPC, but uh, that's kind of like the counterpart of this club. Um, from SAE, I have some more stuff on there. SCE, um, which is a great community to hang out with and um, I highly recommend everybody listen to this. If you are a CS, Compi, SE major, go to SCE and just hang out. Um, <laughs> it, it will make you a smarter a programmer uh, and SME. Uh, let's see what else. And of course now I am doing my master's in CS at Georgia Tech with a robotics specialization. Um, even though right now I'm not currently taking robotics courses. Um, Back in high school, I had the wonderful opportunity of um, being a technician at a semiconductor company for two summers in a row, which is fun. I learned a bunch of random stuff about LED light bulbs. Um, oh, actually, this is a good time to pause and put an example of like uh, what kind of a overly cluttered uh, <laughs> LinkedIn entry looks like. So this is back when I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, if your LinkedIn entries kind of look like this, where it's just like they're bullet points, but they're not really because they're dashes and the whole <laughs> thing looks like one big paragraph, don't do this. <laughs> but, but definitely like put in like these random details like NIFTA TO and whatnot and eternal quantum efficiency. Um, let's see. So this is the work I did on formula, which I'm actually somewhat proud of, honestly. Like I, I designed this whole thing from scratch. Like th this is something few, a year and a half before I designed this. I didn't know what CAD was, right? And I, like fast forward a year and a half later, I like I designed like motor drivetrain package, right? Uh, and this took a long time, and a lot of hours outside of classes. Um, and like, this is just when I was working with all those guys who like really know what they're doing with cars, um, which I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to work with. Uh, oh, there, there it is in person. You can zoom in on this, there you go. Yeah, wow. so basically um, it's just a hunk of metal, cases the motor, differential and then those attached to the rear wheels tires that must have been really uh fascinating to see come into fruition like 
you know, because I mean, so much of CS, um, you don't see it necessarily. I, I mean, for sure, there's CS that's involved in prototyping that and modeling that, but. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a much different experience in the sense that it's just like constantly interdisciplinary. And I think that's, that's true with a lot of like non-software engineering engineers. <laughs> like if you're an engineer that's not software, you're probably in some interdisciplinary field in, in the modern day, right? Um, at least like if you're in California, I guess. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting having to like consider like, oh, these electrical connections like can't be too close to high voltage because of um, whatever like it, inductance problems, right? Or like, they have to be sealed properly. Like um, a bunch of random things that you honestly wouldn't really think of on a daily basis um but yeah it, it was a really cool project to work on i'm glad i had the opportunity to work on it but i have moved on since then to greater things um while i was doing that uh, i'd say this is probably the the time in my life when i worked the hardest that was when i was doing uh formula um as an officer for sce and also working on the other car asme while also working at um this startup company local labs where I just did mechanical design. Basically, I did design, manufacturing, uh, and a bunch of drawings. Uh, it's very like traditionally a mechanical design job, even though the company didn't have many mechanical engineers <laughs> like me and like one other guy. But it was, it was a company of less than ten people, so it was cool working in that really small, like kind of fast-paced environment. Um, had you changed your major to CS at this point yet, Don? Right. So it's a good question. Is I don't know if it was. A, Right at this time, I think it was halfway in here, might have be 2018 sometime. Mm -hmm. I started taking a, like the equivalent of CS46A at Mission College, right? I took it during the summer. It's, it's another like pro tip for people who are listening right now. If like you don't know what you're doing uh, and you're just like starting out college, just like fill your time up in summer with a summer class <laughs> or two. That's totally fine right it's it's a good way to just be productive and like not really i guess feel guilty about wasting time when everyone else all your friends are like working a job whatever like it's, it's totally fine I, I did that for for two or three years um so yeah um this is right around now basically took cs46a over summer mm -hmm. and then after i quit this job oh this is kind of a long gap um so yeah after i quit that job um that's when I started taking CS classes. Uh, so after I quit both this job and formula, um, I was like, okay, I, at that point I was, I was pretty sure I wanted to do CS related stuff and like actually like be a software engineer. Um, I can talk about my motivation that after this, but um, after I made that decision, um, I was like, okay, I'm not in the major but I want to learn. That's all, that's all I knew, I didn't really know anything else. So I just looked online, like, like looked at the curriculum. I spent a lot of time looking at all the CS classes, like how they interconnect. And honestly, I think that's really what like, built my mental model of like, this is the world of computer science, right? Um, <laughs> even though I had no idea what it was. I, actually, I think that's a great way to actually learn. Like if you don't know what a major is about, like just look at the, the courses that people have to take, right? Look, read all the syllabuses, right? 
Um, and if there's any technical terms you don't know, look it up and that's how you start learning, right? <laughs> like it's, that, that will send you down rabbit holes for days. Um, but uh, I think the semester after that, I took CS46B, which wasn't that hard to get into because I already had like um, junior uh, standing at that point. So I had pretty high priority. Um, but it, it was a challenge for me to get CS classes as a non-CS major. Um, so I had to do the, the fun activity of signing up for every section, sitting in every class and just praying that I get a spot, <laughs> which is um, if, if you're not in the fortunate position to have stuff handed to you, uh, then you just you have to do things like that sometimes, right? Um, and so I did for, for a lot of class. I did that for CS146. I did that for Compu135. I did that for CS149. Um, and and, and uh, like Compu120 or like 102, CS47, a, a bunch of classes, right? Um, and like a lot of them, I had like switch out of different sections or like take the Compu equivalent of the CS class instead. Um, yeah. But eventually I built like kind of my, my own CS curriculum, which I, I, and like right now, I don't feel any less qualified than any of like uh, my coworkers or like any, anyone else at school in the master's program right now, honestly. Um, so you too can do it, uh, even if you're not a CS major. <laughs> uh, so yeah, after that, um, I took a few CS classes and, ooh, before I forget, uh, another thing that really helped around this time is I started discovering uh, this website called HackerRank. Um, if you don't know, it's basically LeetCode, um, which if you don't know, is a website where you can just do these small practice programming problems. Um, and I'd say software engineering is unique in the sense that um, so much information and learning material is online and like in these very nice UIs that's like just super easy to use um, and like very presentable. I like, like there's these nice buttons and whatnot that I can click on and like keeps track of progress and whatnot for me. Um, and this was like eating potato chips. I just do a problem and <laughs> it's like, oh, that's cool. That was easy. I do another problem. Okay, that's cool. Let's, let's do one more. Let's do another problem. And I do like 50 of these. Um, and that's how I learned Python <laughs> by, by doing this. Um, yeah. I, I just want to um, pause for a second um, to just highlight the wizardry because you literally just said, uh, look at these cool buttons. <laughs> if, that, if that doesn't uh, explain your uh, love for the discipline, I, I don't know what does because I totally get what you're saying. Um, but I, I have a bunch of questions, Don. Like, how you were able to manage your time and your schedule. It sounds like you were involved in multiple clubs um, throughout a active semester. Sounds like, you know, STEM coursework is generally more challenging than non-STEM coursework, unless you were hella woke going into college, right? Like if you were part of engineering and robotics and CS clubs and just excelled in those subjects prior to landing in college, that's a, that's a huge bridge problem there, right? Like if you just think about 10 hours worth of instruction, switch to two hours worth of instruction per week, um, there's a monumental change in 
expected study skills and performance outcomes, which, you know, we live or die by our habits. So like, that's definitely one question. I don't know if we want to answer it right now. I don't know if um, you want to continue highlighting some of the things on your LinkedIn. I think that's perfect because this is our first conversation, right? If we do this well, um, I think more people will be interested to hear, you know, when we go dive deeper in that plan that we created. So I don't know if you want to answer that now or we can finish the LinkedIn first or Right, right. Uh, let me see if I can use like the LinkedIn as a framework for like how I actually tackled um, time management and like, yeah. uh, managing like doing all these projects and whatnot. Um, so honestly, I'd say like the turning point in like my shift in mentality and like shift in habits and character mm-hmm. is right around uh, here. Right. Um, and like the key thing that changed, um, I'd say was that I was in a position where I had a lot of pressure to take ownership of making this happen. Uh, there, there was no one to tell me like, oh, you have like a deadline tomorrow, right? This is due tomorrow, right? It was just like, we're on the same boat and like we need to finish this car by like this day or we want to have a car right and like you own this subsystem you own that substance you own that, that system hey don robert you, you own this power pack go do it kind of thing right and like um i, I think like because i threw myself in this position where like everyone else was just really on top of their their stuff um like there are a lot of really smart people around me that knew what they're doing when I didn't. Um, that, that just kind of gave me the social pressure that like, Oh, I, I really need to do this. And the, the key character trait that that built into me was this idea of ownership that like I am in charge of my own learning and my own responsibilities that I need to get this done. Uh, and I will learn whatever it takes to get it done. Right. And in doing so, um, I guess it's like learning by doing process. Um, not only was I able to learn a lot faster than pretty much all my peers at that time, like, like the stuff I was doing to, to design something like this was way beyond like freshman material for um, mechanical engineering. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like the skills were also solidified because I was putting them into practice every single day. Right. So like I'd, I'd say like it's really important to like step one somehow put yourself in a position where you have like just enough pressure to like really make you feel like you need to take ownership of a project or um, like some responsibility to drive your learning forward and then step two actually take action on that and like do it every day and just like keep doing it like for for me for CAD work, this was the project that got me there, right? For me, for learning how to write Python, this was what got me there, right? I did this every single day, right? Uh, just religiously, just just go on. And, um, th- thankfully, at this point, I was already in this, this mentality of like, oh, um, I just wake up and I would know my reason for like getting up and wanting to do things. Um, just because like, and I knew like what I needed to do to uh, like secure like a software engineering job and like the, the skills I was missing, right? And like learning how to program in a good interviewing language 
like Python's basically the, the best interviewing language I, I'd argue um, is just fundamental, like absolutely required, right? Um, and like that was like part of the motivation, like another part of the motion motivation was just because like these are kind of triggered, like designed in a way, in like a gamified way to sort of addict you to like just doing a bunch of these problems after a while. Um, so I feel like it's, it's really a combination of both internal and external factors of like one, deciding what motivates you and like two, putting you, putting yourself in a position and an environment that will keep that motivation going so that you continuously learn and apply your knowledge. That second part of like applying your knowledge and actually doing things is like really, really, really important. Just like continuously. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I am currently doing this by preparing for my supplemental instructor, instructional leader role um, in the peer connections for CS146, which is data structures and algorithms. I suck at data structures and algorithms. I'm not sure how they chose me to be an SI for that class. Um, but all, in all seriousness, I did that literally so that I can begin taking CS seriously, finally, <laughs> after freaking four years. Um, so I completely understand what you're saying there. Uh, I guess my question for both of us is how might students who aren't at maybe our level of, you know, I'm looking for opportunities and peer connections because I'm interested in teaching and learning. You are very active in extracurriculars and uh, side projects. So how might students who aren't at that level yet, the students who are still, you know, barely scraping by in their classes, treat some of their lectures and treat some of their assignments um, as these legitimate projects to really take ownership and accountability for. Um, and I'm actually just curious on how you were able to do that because I, I, I don't know what the time was like, but I would imagine um, that that motor that you're describing, the CAD project or the studying for Python for the interview, I would, I'm not sure if it's accurate, but if it's anything like the classes that I'm going through, it, it probably is like maybe close to one to one, like the amount of hours you spend in a week, right? For your classes versus this stuff. So how did you manage that? Um, hmm, okay. So I guess how to manage like actually have, having this mentality of like, I need to work on something, is, is, is that what you're trying to get at? Um, yeah, um, so one note about lecture. Uh, mm -hmm. What are lectures besides a project being dumped on you, right? Like that you have to decode and break apart and make right. sense of. Right, right. So, uh, I, I feel like the, the key difference uh, for me, this might not apply to everyone, is that for like a side project uh, that's very open-ended, you're pretty much in control, right? Like while I was working on, on this and um, like while I was working on this, like th there's structure to it, but like no one's telling me like you have to do this exact thing right now. Like, like in a homework assignment, you're like, you're, you're given this exact problem. Um, and like you have to, sometimes you have to do it like a certain way, right? Uh, and it's very like not so open-ended, which uh, could restrict learning, but at the same time, like it, it's good for like really drilling down certain topics. Um, sometimes you just have to get through it. But if someone wanted advice for how to like reframe their mindset to think about academic assignments and like um, classroom, um, uh, I guess activities, as something that uh, will really drive the career forward. 
um, I'd, I'd say the biggest thing you can do, the best thing you can do is think about how that assignment or how that class fits into the bigger picture of what you're trying to achieve. Um, like for me example, uh, for example, uh, when I took like data structures and algorithms, right? Um, sometimes we just be learning about some random data structure, like, I don't know, like B tree, whatever. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Nothing to do with anything, but then like, um, or like yeah, some sort of like tree structure, right? And then I go home and then go on the code or whatever and like see like, oh, there's actually like 10 interview questions that like are very common <laughs> that like use the same concept, right? Um, and like actually connecting it to something that's like directly applicable to like what I can use to afford my career really helps out a lot. And then as you learn more, I feel like it's, it's very difficult when you first start off because you don't have a mental model of like, this is the whole universe of my, um, my career and, and my, uh, my field, right? right? Like when you first start off as an undergrad, I first, I had no idea what are the different options in mechanical engineering. You talked to me about like, oh, design, mechatronics, thermo. Those are just words to me. <laughs> so mean anything and you know, I, I don't understand how they're interconnected um but after you start to uh learn enough things to draw the connect the dots between different concepts um then you can really fit in like okay how is this one particular thing that i'm working on right now fit into the big, bigger picture and how does that drive me forward into the career that i want and sometimes it just won't <laughs> that's fine uh and you just have to get through that but um if you're taking classes in a degree that you enjoy or like you chose then uh more often than not uh most of your most of your assignments most of your exams and whatnot should, should fit into that bigger picture and um, forward you towards your career goal if you, if you just think about think about it on a higher level and like think about um, how it relates to other things that you've learned and that how that like builds your overall knowledge and helps you just become a better engineer just more knowledgeable person in your field it might not be engineering your response was so cool because uh it was what i was expecting you to say or was what i was hoping for you to say um there was an assignment the professor jeff anderson that's in a bunch of the learning code videos and he's one of the writers and content creators uh he has an assignment writing your exam problems and he's gotten to a point in his career where he can actually have fully like complex exams written by his students written by the questions that the students turned in and part of that assignment is actually asking those exact questions how might i use this concept that i want to be tested on in this mission one year from now six months from now maybe two years from now how might it fit into my learning portfolio how might i track the learning processes that go behind mastering this concept or beginning the mastery process right mm -hmm. um so that is uh i'm so glad that, that was your response i was hoping you were good there and it that that just shows um that's the principle of learning to be honest right like because to keep that fire alive <laughs> to keep irrelevant abstract theoretical concepts that we're required to learn in our purview, <laughs> in our line of sight, requires 
what you were describing earlier. Like you went out of your way to look at the CS curriculum for heaven's sake, even when you're trying to make your own major and get your own degree in that sense, right? Like uh, if your experience with advising and counseling is anything like mine, I mean, we are just another student, right? Like it really, really like, you know, I wish they could be more transparent with that in terms of how much we can get out of our education if we were to do these explicit steps, right? If we were to look into the curriculum in advance, if we were to take a deeper dive into some syllabuses, right? Um, so all of that was just pretty essential to <laughs> everything that we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Damn. Definitely. Um, this might be a good time, I'm not sure, um, to hear your thoughts on how you define learning, Don. What do you think? Um. Let's see. Definition of learning for me, uh, it's it's definitely not a clear cut thing. And when I when I was thinking about this, like when you first asked me this, um, uh, when we were preparing, like um, I thought, wow, it's it, there's a lot of like book definitions you can give, right? They're like, oh, it's the process of like gaining knowledge and whatnot, but really, I, I think it's more of a reflection of your character um, and who you want to be, right? So a reflection of who you are and not only who you want to be, like how badly you want to be the, the thing that you want to be. Um, and I say that because I look back on my journey of learning back when I really knew nothing. And I, I still don't really know that much, honestly. Like, like <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I'm just saying like all these great things about myself, but at the end of the day, like I still have a lot to learn. Um, like we're, we're all always learning, right? Um, and th this measure of like learning, like how much are you learning or like how good of a learner you are? Um, I'd say it's also a measure of like, how badly do you, do you want to improve yourself, right? And it's not just about knowledge, but also about your character and who you are, your habits um, and how you carry yourself. Um, it really all ties in together with what you know and um, like your level of intelligence. That's loosely defined terms. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I guess at, at a high level, that's, that's, that's what I'd say it is. Yeah, thank you for that. I know many students, including myself, to this day, struggle with learning in academic settings because there are um, imposed and projected deadlines on, on assignments and exams without taking in any consideration of the responsibilities that I have in my life. And that is for sure part of being a student. That is also for sure called, we need to fund education more because if, if you imagine if there was only one teacher for one student, mm -hmm. those deadlines don't need to exist, right? <laughs> because mm -hmm. there's so many, there's actually so many creative ways and more student-centered ways, not institutional-centered ways to measure learning outcomes that are more representative of actual mastery, of actual understanding, right? Because how many classes have we taken where we can get by, perhaps even with an A, but actually not learn diddly squat, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Which is sad because the, the person that's suffering there is still the student, right? The GPA might not suffer in that case, but um, to be able to leverage that material for a future course, for a future project, for um, a career move, 
you, you won't be because you have nothing to show for it. You literally have nothing, right? So um, thank you for that definition. I, I want to ask, has there been moments in your ed journey and you're still in your ed journey you're in grad school i can't our, our next episode should, should be a you know a chronicle of what that's like because um that's that's a whole nother world in a sense yeah. um but um can you think of a moment where an educator has had an assumption about you and perhaps your learning abilities that you knew was not true mm-hmm. and that it was actually harmful or hurtful in your process of the class i think this is an excellent 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 question because this is something that happens all the time right and i actually want to preface my answer to this question with uh, saying that i feel like i personally am in a very fortunate position where like a lot of people look at me and they say this guy knows what he's talking about or this guy's a nerd and like he writes code like, I've literally had people tell me that. Like when, when I was in mechanical engineering, before I'd ever written a single line of code, people would come up to me and ask me to help them on their CS homework, <laughs> just because of the way I look. Um, I don't know if it's the glasses or like hair, skin complexion. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but um, that helps out a lot, unfortunately. Um, that is the world and society that we live in. But even then, I have had times <laughs> when I've had the opposite side of the coin. And uh, the example I'm going to give is like the absolute possible case is um, I have been falsely accused of plagiarism twice in my life on things that I've actually like really put time and effort into. And like, it makes you so angry. Right? <laughs> like, like how dare they like accuse me of this when like, I'm just trying to do an honest job um, and just get my work done. Right. And I'd say um, to anybody that's in this situation, that's listening to this right now, like the best thing you can do is don't yell at people and like just don't like go off at people and get mad, even though you are extremely angry. Like the best thing you can do is just be respectful and understand that honest mistakes happen and like this stuff is gonna happen. Um, like, most of the time it will not, but sometimes it will. Uh, like innocent people get blamed, right? Um, and I, I don't know if this is in part because someone like had some stigma against me or if they actually honestly thought that this is a problem. Um, but yeah, if that ever happens, just, um, just be honest, be firm, um, hold your ground, but also be very respectful about it. Uh, and this kind of goes back to the, the whole thing about how do you communicate with people and like network. Um, this is another thing where like you have to ask someone for help with something and you have to make it seem like a two-way street somehow. And really the only way you can do that is just like by being res- respectful and like respecting um, not only like your professor's authority, but even the TA's authority. Like sometimes the TA may be someone that's younger than you or someone that you can like, you think doesn't know as much as you do because like, oh, you've been studying so hard, but like you, you have to just keep your cool and be respectful and remain calm. <laughs> um, and the second thing I wanted to bring up is actually the opposite. Uh, situation or like you asked me like has this any has a professor ever had some stigma against me or like some assumption uh, some false assumption that negatively affected me um but that's that's the worst case for me that's been negatively impacting mm-hmm. but i've actually had 
the opposite happened to me where some professors um, have actually like overlooked small grading details in my exams because they knew I knew that w what I was doing and like <laughs> they're just like oh yeah you know how to do that problem so they just like gave me the points um, and like I've actually I'm not gonna <laughs> name any names but I've seen professors like give me that free pass and then like mark off the next five people wrong for that question without batting an eye right and I was like wow I, I feel kind of bad but like I also don't know what to say in like, that situation like honestly um it's it's kind of a very weird situation to be in like um it's unfortunate like that's the world that we live in where, where people will will do that um but the truth is like the, the way people think about you and like like how much they respect you uh and it, what they feel like you can do and like how they feel like about your ability uh, and just about you as a person is really going to uh, either make your life very hard or very difficult mm -hmm. uh, in very nuanced subtle ways that you won't expect um, mm -hmm. that's the unfortunate truth yeah i, I didn't um, know you were going to go there for both of those i i've also had an experience with uh academic integrity really just traumatic slash never will forget in my life experiences with academic integrity that I can um, talk about in the future. But, you know, what I, I'd like to share my screen really quickly because this, um, this handout that Jeff at The Learning Code put together is kind of key to this conversation. So his website, um, AppliedLinearAlgebra.com, so legit that he has that domain name. Uh, he set up a Patreon page for the amount of uh, open access free resources that he's created for his students over the last eight years at Foothill. I'm pretty positive he'd be getting like five grand a month. <laughs> um, but anyway, so here's an example. So this is uh, for his first pre-cal class. Um, and here, Together as a team in the learning code, we actually did, he did a deep read on the book Limitless Mind by Joel Bowler. Um, so he has probably hundreds of pages of written notes on this book and just reflection and, and thought. But to summarize this, um, I think these keys are worth reading out loud for our podcast listeners. So one key is you can grow your brain. Second one is deliberate practices king. Um, third key is believe in yourself. You can do anything you want to. Fourth one is think flexibly and use multiple approaches. Fifth, slow, deep, and flexible thinking is better than fast thinking. Sixth, build your learning team with effective help-seeking practices. Um, I'm not sure if you're noticing, Don, but you pretty much covered all six in, in some form or shape in your responses. Um, yeah, but this is really concisely, like really well phrased. I, I, I really like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If we were to just hone in on the belief one, right? Like the reality is people in our current age, it seems like are increasingly uh, quick to judge <laughs> and quick to um, quick to assume as well. And in addition to that, it seems like you know, people love to put people in boxes, right? Whether it's for the better or for the worse. So this is why learning key three here on this handout, like just believing in yourself, like whether it's having mantras or whether it's just looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, I can do this despite the assumptions that my peers, my parents, my professors have about my learning ability because every skill witnessed 
in humankind was a learned skill from playing Mozart to building that power pack um, to anything. It is all learned. And, you know, to get access to good information to accelerate that journey is something that I hope we, as a learning, the Learning Code community, can provide resources to save people time and energy, right? Because we both know there's actually a, a ton of <laughs> um, bad information out there that doesn't accelerate and, in fact, decelerates the uh, velocity of learning. But um, I wanted to share that because, you know, we don't talk about beliefs when it comes to learning, right? And in fact, many people believe the opposite. Many people believe that I don't have the CS gene or the math gene. If you just survey anyone walking on the street, whether or not they like math, generally nine out of 10 people are going to be like, I fucking hate math. <laughs> and that, that's actually a symptom of um, poor or deficient math pedagogy and this right. deficit lens in which many people in positions of power, whether it's our parents or our teachers, um, act on, which is sad. Right, right. It is uh, unfortunate that that's just the general stigma and like socially acceptable, um, I guess the, the easier, more natural mindset is like, I can't do it um, for a lot of people. And like for, for me for the longest time, and it's, it's like still sometimes they, you, you always get those feelings and um, the the coin term that uh, a lot of people use in the software world is imposter syndrome. Um, that, that that's like a very popular term. And, um, the I think the most recent case of this where uh, it came up a lot was when I first started my I don't know if, I, I didn't get the there on my my LinkedIn, but when I first started my first internship at Google, um, I was like the only mechanical engineer in the room <laughs> at orientation in a room full of like some people were like PhD CS machine learning nerds that like really knew what they're talking about like from Stanford and MIT and whatnot and I was just sitting there like uh hi how's it going right mm -hmm. um I, Don, I, I actually knew that was coming up in your LinkedIn, but I wasn't sure if you wanted to disclose that. That's just why I was like, are, are we done with the LinkedIn yet? So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that's, that, that's my past internship for a long time ago. Okay, uh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nothing to do with my current employment situation. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, for, for that internship, like, um, what really surprised me is the number of people that, I thought were very experienced and like had a very strong background in like whatever it may be, machine learning, like artificial intelligence, just, like distributed systems, expert, whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. um, those people who like I looked up to would also feel imposter syndrome. <laughs> I'm like, huh. <laughs> I think after seeing enough of those people, um, and some of these people are like, full-time engineers who have been working at Google for years, right? <laughs> Ever seeing enough of those people um, in that position, it started to make me realize a lot that like, this is really just like mentality thing, like just a mindset thing. Um, and you just need to see enough of the world and <laughs> enough people. Who, that, that's, that's, that's a very vague way of putting it. And it's like a, a different amount of exposure for everybody. Mm -hmm. But for me, uh, just like seeing enough of these people that 
I felt really shouldn't feel imposter syndrome, feel imposter syndrome made mm-hmm. me think like, oh, what excuse do I have? Like, honestly, like, um, it made me think more realistically of my situation and like give myself more credit for like the work that, and even though like, I felt like I was doing a very bad job at the time, like it, I, I ended up doing a lot better than I expected, right? Um, and that's, that's totally fine. And I think in, in my situation specifically, I had the advantage of um, already going through uh, what I call the formula boot camp. <laughs> so formula SAE, I don't know how much you know about the club, but um, it's a group of people who are very assertive and um, can come off as very arrogant um, and feel like they have the opposite problem like they feel like they know everything kind of thing right um and I think being around those people and like um I guess being forced to assert myself or just like get crushed um (laughs) really um set me up for success later on even though it wasn't a very pleasant experience at the time um and I understand that like most people aren't going to have um a like experience like that uh just because of like the nature of our education system um so what, what i'd say to them is, is really just find opportunities to assert yourself respectfully um and put yourself out there and like hold your ground and like defend your ideas and opinions um like technical opinion not not, not let's say like people hearing that probably think political so, like i mean like i think we need to make this like code change for xyz reason because of blah 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 objective reasons right um and the more you get used to doing that and just believing in yourself and your own open-ended ideas the the more you will believe uh in yourself as uh, a person and the the better your character will develop right um i've seen that happen with me a lot i still have a long ways to go with that right it's kind of an ongoing process. There, there are a lot of people who are much better and like much more well-spoken than I am um, that I, I look up to. And I'm sure if I were to see myself now, like four years ago, I'd be like, yes, that's, 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 for, uh, that's at least something that I, I want to do, right? Um, so yeah, just anybody listen to this, don't give up and put yourself in a, a position where you can assert yourself. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Don. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, because it's still um, kind of lingering, and then I'll let you go because you got to get ready for your first day of classes in grad school, um, is this concept of productive struggle. So um, I, my, the first time I came across this was actually through Jeff, and he actually created a graphic on this, and he has a video on it, but let me just show you. You can also find this graphic on his website, <laughs> AppliedLinearAlgebra.com. You go to his courses. And you go to pre-calculus uh, 48A pre-calc one. Um, one day I'm going to get this man paid for the stuff that he does. So the the, the sweet spot is the link um, here: productive struggle and deep practice. And I, I think you're going to resonate with this uh, graphic a good amount. Do you see that clearly on your end? Um, so highlighted here in darker gray shade is that sweet spot that we're looking for, right? And I and I heard in in various responses today, how sometimes we can fall under this unproductive struggle zone where it 
you know, the level of difficulty of the task at hand exceeds our threshold for current capacity. Um, and, and we want to be in between these, right? And we want to have authentic growth, which requires some difficulty um, to stay in that sweet spot. And the question I have for you, Don, um, that I that I feel like you have a really strong answer to that I wasn't able to um, hear yet is like, how were you able to do well in your classes and learn all, all, all the other things? Like, because to be honest with you, I had a really hard time last semester and I think I'm about to have a really hard time this semester, like just keeping up with my teacher's expectations. And I think that is the majority of people listening to this in STEM fields. Like my teacher wants me to do this, 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 and this. I'm barely staying afloat. What, what do I do? Um, how, how might you answer that question for our listeners? Right, right. So I'd say if you are already struggling um, it, it is very difficult to pull back up because it's, it's always easier to stay afloat than it is to swim to the surface. Um, so if you're in that position where like you feel like you're behind at, at the beginning and you don't know what you're doing, um, I'd say actually the best thing is one, like going back to building that mental model of like, where does this fit into the bigger picture and like what drives me? And like, two, going back to building a network, find external motivation factors and like people that can help you and don't be afraid to ask for help. Like I, I, I went off and said a lot about like, oh, how you have to be very careful about asking for help. Well, like the flip side of that is that you also can't be afraid to ask for help. Like do ask for help. It's very, very, very important that you ask for help. Like, like sometimes you might think, oh, you're, you're like your question's too, too stupid and like, um, I don't know what I'm doing, right? Like people are just gonna like not really be helpful, but like the more you ask for help and the more you're like, you're conscious about how you ask for help, the better it'll get. And like the closer you get to like, I guess the, the threshold for authentic growth that that would be, um, or threshold for current capacity in this graph, right? Um, so, uh, and, and like, it's like a lot of times you, you, you really just need a combination of that intrinsic and extrinsic motivation to, to really push you forward. Um, right. Building a team with effective help seeking practices. Um, and it's, it's really hard just taking those first few steps. Um, and you, you just need to keep, keep doing, <laughs> keep finding people to help you out. And, um, just keep learning anything that's relevant to the exact things that you're struggling on. Um, and one thing that helps me in particular is like thinking about the things that I struggle on the most and focusing on just those things and then not worrying too much about the things that I, I already kind of understand. Cause like chances are if you're struggling, there's uh, you're probably not struggling on absolutely everything. There's probably at least one or two things that, you at least kind of know, I'd say just don't worry about this. <laughs> just worry about the things that you really don't understand at all, uh, just so you can have at least a basic understanding. Because if you have a basic understanding of everything, then you can start to build your bigger picture of like, okay, here's like the knowledge graph of this concept, like this class, right? What, what am I trying to learn here? And then that's when you can finally uh, start to put the pieces together. 
um, and like learning on. Once you're at that level where you can see how a particular lesson fits into the bigger picture, mm-hmm. then your life, that's, I'd say that's like the inflection point of like when your life gets a little bit easier. Um, and you, you can just start to th- start to think about like learning rather than have to stress all the time about like, I need to get this done kind of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. What am I actually trying to learn here? Right. And often that's, that's really not an easy question to answer in your first few weeks of some unknown subject that you have no idea about. Um, which is why I like to spend so much of my time like after class, just learning about things that aren't covered in class, but are tangentially related. Cause that will give me things to connect to. Mm. Right. Um, that, that's like really important. I feel like that's what gave me an advantage over um, a lot of my classmates is that I would just have seemingly random knowledge that would just become relevant in the middle of some random lesson. Um, I don't know. And, and it would help me so significantly just by like researching things. And, and like, uh, this is part of like me uh, having a habit of just like, learning things and being interested in stuff in my field, which honestly isn't for everyone I'd say, but even if you don't like doing that, it's still worth spending some time learning something that's not covered in class. That's somewhat related. And you do that enough. And eventually something will connect and it will pay off and uh, it, it might pay off in your classes where you're learning something you don't quite understand, but it relates to something, some random thing you learned on YouTube from some guy or some random thing on Geeks for Geeks that you learned. Um, and that helps you connect the dots better, or it might pay off in your job. Um, and like both of those have happened to me, right? Like when I was learning about like, uh, let's see, um, like link lists, right? Um, like a lot of the stuff I was just reading, lurking on like geese for geeks and like stack overflow would come up mm-hmm. even though stuff that was never covered in class. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I, I feel like that really gave me that, that head start of like understanding that concept and then the details just fall into place afterwards. Right. Uh, and I've had this happen on interviews where moments where people would ask me questions about things like one of my interview questions I had on like dynamic programming, which I didn't even know was a thing, honestly, <laughs> but, like <laughs> at the time. Um, so I, I would like ask the interviewer, Oh, like, what do you mean by that? And like when they described it, when they described the concept, I was able to tie it back to some like, like lead code or like some like medium article I'd read from a couple months back that was somewhat tangentially related and then fill in the blanks and like end up getting the offer for that, for that job. Right. Um, and like, it's just, you really need to immerse yourself in your art, in, in your expertise, in your specialization, your field. And if you're not wholeheartedly dedicating yourself, uh, it's going to be very difficult to just like go through classes mm-hmm. and I guess assume that, school will give you everything you need to know because I feel like um, there's this weird gap between what professors like think you know and what like you actually know and it's very difficult to fill because like professors already know 
everything to teach the class. Um, so it's not entirely fair to ask them to just like know the needs of every single student, like, like how many hundreds of students per semester, right? Um, but at the same time, it's not exactly fair to students because like everyone has, starts from a different spot. Um, so I'd say the best thing you can do is just uh, find some motivation to just always be learning on your free time or at least spend some amount of time to learn your free time um, with some topic that interests you that, that like both ideally it's something that both interests you that you're willing to like watch and spend your free time learning about mm -hmm. and also something that's related to um, classes that you might take or like work that you, you might do in the future um, and then that will make like your work the next coming semester like before you start classes or like uh, your work for a job that you're about to start um, much easier, right? Because you already have that prerequisite knowledge. It's just like studying beforehand. Um, it's, it's really no magic, I'd say, <laughs> right? And, and that all becomes easier if you have friends to do it with, right? Mm -hmm. And like, oh, actually something that I wanted to mention that um, I didn't get a chance to, kind of tangentially related <laughs> is that um, when making these connections, uh, and actually like learning um, and working with other people, I'd say three key things that really helped me is like, first, when you first start off, definitely learn from people that know more than you, like professors or like um, upperclassmen or like people that had already taken the class that you took yeah. um, or like senior engineers at work, whatever. Uh, but also don't forget to learn from people who are like at your level. I'd say the people that are at your level um, will probably help you and push you the most. Like, cause you, you have to do this push and pull of like both learning from them and like somewhat teaching them uh, yeah. while like motivating, motivating each other to like kind of push each other up. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like best thing is like, like some people think of their classmates as like competition for like a job, like don't do that. Like think of your classmates as like your team, right? These are the people that are going to help you and you're going to help them reach your career goals, right? Um, and the third category of people, uh, you should definitely network with and like eventually grow to work with more people that you can teach, right? People that you can like, part of the community that you can give back to and actually like one, validate your knowledge <laughs> on a topic that you, you should know. Um, and uh, like also um, improve your communication skills and like um, really test like how well you can explain something to someone. I feel like that, that's, a, that's a real test of like how well you actually know something, right? So you have good, com good balance of like initially people that know more than you, people that know just about the same as you and people that know less than you, that's a good recipe for success. That, that will go a long way. Thank you so much, Don. Um, I know that was only probably 0.1% of your story and the wisdom that you have to offer in this space. But nonetheless, it certainly was inspiring to hear. And um, it definitely refueled my cup going into the next semester with this SI role and, you know, all that upper division coursework that I'm sure you still remember. <laughs> okay. So uh, I cannot wait 
for our next one to, to hear more on your journey, your the challenges that arise for you and your growth in grad school and at the workplace. Are, so are you doing like full-time grad school or how does that work? You're working full-time, right? I work full-time and then taking one class per semester. Wow. Yeah, there's so much to uncover in just that note, but uh, we'll, we'll save that for another future yeah. meeting. Thank you so much, Don. This was such a pleasure. I, I wish I wish we were able to talk more in person, but um, I'm grateful for virtual meetings because of ones like these. Okay. Thank you for listening to my rambling. <laughs> no, not at all. That was, I. when I get feedback from the learning code community and students that I work with day to day on your story, I will make sure to um, let you know because I'm, yes, <laughs> this is just the beginning, right? Literally, you're the first student officially on this thing. So um, Can't wait thank to see you. more students come on. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good night. All right. Rock night. those classes tomorrow. Have fun. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> See you then. See you, bud. Appreciate it.